Hello everyone, and welcome to the December 2nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Several large medical and interpreting companies filed a federal lawsuit last July contesting the constitutionality of certain provisions of Senate Bill 863. Their purpose was to avoid payment of millions of dollars in lien activation fees before the end of 2013. And the federal judge who will hear the case issued a preliminary injunction that restrains the Department of Workers' Compensation from imposing the activation fee not only on these plaintiffs, but on all other lien claimants statewide. The injunction will continue until further order of court or an order by a higher court as a result of a successful appeal. As a result of this injunction, the DWC has announced that it will no longer collect lien activation fees. Lien claimants whose liens were subject to the activation fee requirement will not be required to pay the $100 fee in order to appear at a hearing or to file a declaration of readiness to proceed regarding a lien. The DWC is reconfiguring its computer systems to facilitate the filing of DORs on lien claims without the fee. The fee for filing new liens remains in effect. Only the lien activation fee is affected by the preliminary injunction. And now our fraud report. Lashing back at federal officials and Senate colleagues, State Senator Ron Calderon filed a federal lawsuit alleging that authorities leaked an FBI affidavit against him after he refused to participate in an FBI sting operation targeting Senate President Pro Tem Daryl Steinberg and Senator Kevin DeLeon. The suit asks that the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office be held in contempt. Calderon says that last month, Last month's release of a sealed FBI affidavit has prejudiced any future grand jury proceeding and irreparably tainted any future court proceedings that might involve him. Calderon alleges that he was approached on six separate occasions by high-level agents of the FBI and on two occasions by an assistant United States attorney demanding that he wear a wire and secretly record his conversations with his colleagues. He says that the FBI was specifically interested in Steinberg's financial activities with Michael Drobot, the former chief executive officer of Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. Calderon says he refused to participate in the FBI sting operation. Steinberg was quoted by news sources claiming that Calderon's filing is pure fantasy. De Leon declined to comment. His office has previously stated that he has been told he is not a target of the investigation. Late last month, Al Jazeera America posted the FBI affidavit, which alleges that Calderon took $60,000 in bribes from an FBI agent and $28,000 in bribes from Drobot. Drobot's lawyer has called the allegations baseless. There have been calls for Calderon to resign by Assemblywoman Christina Garcia and other officials in Calderon's East Los Angeles County District. 
Calderon issued a statement slamming Garcia for assuming the role of judge and jury, adding that his current problems could befall anyone in public office. The National Insurance Crime Bureau released its third quarter 2013 questionable claims report. Questionable claims are claims that Bureau member insurance companies refer to the Bureau for closer review and investigation based on one or more indicators of possible fraud. A single claim may contain up to seven referral reasons. Overall, comparing the first three quarters of 2011 to the first three quarters of 2013, the numbers of QCS increased 24%. Medical provider referrals had the largest increase in volume as well as the highest percentage increase. Duplicate billing complaints were up 26%, unbundling, upcoding were up 20%, and inflated billing referrals were up 17%. Overall, workers' compensation questionable claim referral reasons increased 4%. Disability and false SSN referrals topped the percentage increases with 58% and 40% respectively. An Orange County-based ambulance company has paid the United States more than $3 million to settle a lawsuit. A federal judge unsealed the lawsuit this month against ambulance transport company Phil Corporation, which does business under the name Lynch Ambulance based in Anaheim. The settlement resolved allegations that it regularly billed Medicare and other federal health care programs for transporting patients who were not bed-confined or whose transports otherwise were not medically necessary. The settlement resolves a lawsuit filed under the Quitam or whistleblower provisions of the Federal False Claims Act. This act allows private citizens with knowledge of fraud to bring civil actions on behalf of the United States and to share in any recovery. This lawsuit was filed by two former Lynch Ambulance employees. Lynch Ambulance has also entered into a corporate integrity agreement with the Department of Health and Human Services. Lynch Ambulance and its principals have resolved the case without admitting any wrongdoing. This is the second federal case against the Southern California Ambulance Company this year. Alpha Ambulance, a now defunct Los Angeles area ambulance transportation company, pleaded guilty in connection with an ambulance fraud scheme. Alphon owners face a 10-year sentence. And in regulatory news, the Office of Administrative Law has approved the DWC's final version of the Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit Regulations. The SJDB emergency regulations went into effect on January 1, 2013. The modifications to the remaining sections are effective on January 1, 2014. The final version of the SJDB regulations includes several changes from the emergency regulations. One change allows injured workers to submit a written invoice for computer equipment to be paid directly to the retailer. The claims administrator may also offer 
to provide the computer equipment directly to the employee. Computer equipment must be now provided to the employee within 45 days of receipt of the request for purchase of computer equipment form. Injured workers can submit either a written bid from a computer retailer or receipts of purchase. And the California Insurance Commissioner approved advisory pure premium rates that average $2.70 per $100 of payroll effective January 1st. This is 6.7% higher than the average filed pure premium rate as of July 1st. This was lower than the WCIRB proposed advisory pure premium rates. The commissioner's report said that lower rate was due to two differences in the methodology used. First, the WCIRB included in their analysis a portion of the state compensation insurance funds loss adjustment expense. The Department of Insurance did not. Second, the Department of Insurance recommends an additional 2.5% reduction in medical losses due to an anticipated savings in Senate Bill 863. This reduction was not reflected in the WCIRB's recommendation. The Commissioner's report noted that insurers typically filed substantially higher manual rates, but the rates actually charged to employers are substantially lower on average than the filed rates. This is due to a common insurer practice of discounting from the filed rates. The extent to which insurers will discount from the filed rates in the future, however, remains to be seen. Current observations suggest that discounts are shrinking. The fact that insurers are substantially discounting their manual rates has helped to keep workers' compensation insurance prices lower, despite the increasing costs. The data suggests that insurers may be recognizing that this trend cannot continue in the face of increasing system costs. A rule proposed by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services contradicts the intent of a recently passed law aimed at requiring CMS to tell insurers how much, must be, how much must be given to CMS out of the proceeds of a settlement with federal health insurance recipients. The regulatory process was mandated by passage in January of the Strengthening of Medicare and Repaying Taxpayers Act, also known as the SMART. This law mandates the timely report to CMS on settlements of lawsuits involving no-fault, auto insurance claims, workers' compensation claims, and payments under liability insurance such as auto accidents. Insurers voiced concern that the interim final rule, which means it goes into effect immediately, more than doubles the statutory 120-day period CMS was given under the new law to provide the calculation to insurers. Among those submitting comment letters are the American Insurance Association, the Risk and Insurance Management Society, and the Medicare Advocacy Recovery Coalition, which includes self-insured employers. The comment letters sent by insurers voiced concern that the proposed regulation does not conform to the requirements of the SMART Act. The CMS proposal also must work 
within the context of how settlements actually occur and should promote rather than delay the settlement of claims. John Phelps, RIMS president, said that if parties have to wait over half a year to conclude their settlement because of a lengthy MSP process, many settlements will simply break down. And in medical news, doctors who specialize in treating head pain have published a list of the procedures and treatments they think have risks or costs that outweigh benefits. Researchers surveyed members of the American Headache Society and evaluated more than 100 items as they developed a list of five items. The guidelines advise against imaging the brains of patients who get headaches that have not changed over time. They also discourage the long-term use of over-the-counter pain pills and avoid using opiates such as oxycodone and drugs containing budabitol like furiacet for patients who get frequent headaches. Finally, physicians should not perform CT scans on a patient with a headache when MRI is available unless it's an emergency. Patients and their families can use these guidelines to start a conversation with their doctor about the pros and cons of a given test or procedure. Labor Code Section 4600 provides that medical care provided in workers' compensation cases conform to standards of evidence-based medicine that is peer-reviewed. While the DWC published medical treatment utilization schedule is presumed to be correct, it can be overcome by higher quality medical evidence. Thus, utilization review vendors may rely on better guidelines, such as this study, as they review requests for authorization for medical care. Researchers also say that aggressive medical care at the beginning of a workers' compensation claim results in reduced costs, shorter claim duration, and lower litigation rates. The pilot study showed that the more aggressive approach to care achieved reductions in claim duration from 13 to 20 percent reductions in indemnity costs from 19 to 61 percent, and reductions in litigation from 7.2 to 16 percent. The data was presented during a panel discussion at the National Workers' Compensation and Disability Conference in Las Vegas. The pilot study analyzed information from more than 700,000 claims for four procedures. Those procedures were anterior cruciate ligament repair, knee meniscectomy, shoulder rotator cuff repair, and carpal tunnel injuries. This new research project refines the characteristics that distinguish high-performing physicians and the treatment approaches that achieve better results. And in financial news, State Compensation Insurance Fund's Board of Directors has approved a $100 million dividend to qualifying policyholders. The dividend represents approximately 8.6% of estimated annual premium. This action brings total dividends declared since 2011 to $250 million. Since its inception, State Fund has paid more than $5 
billion dollars in dividends to policyholders, a record unparalleled among all California workers' compensation insurance carriers. And according to a special report by the AM Best Company, the workers' compensation industry's financial results improved in 2012. The combined ratio of 110.3 was a seven-point decrease from 2011 and the first decline since 2006. The combined ratio is a measure of profitability used by an insurance company to indicate how well it's performing in its daily operations. A ratio below 100% indicates that the company is making underwriting profit, while a ratio above 100% means that it's paying out more money in claims than it's receiving from premiums. Premiums grew for the second straight year and claim frequency declined at a faster rate than severity, severity increased. The industry still faces challenges such as poor underwriting results, low investment yields, and ongoing uncertainty over the impact of healthcare reform. These improved results reflect year-over-year -year rate increases and growth in payrolls, but are offset in part by rising medical costs and the improving, but still relatively weak, macroeconomic environment. Industry results also have been benefiting from advancements in technology, which enable companies to react more quickly to negative trends. However, without the benefit of higher investment yields that the industry earned in the past, overall earnings has declined. And in other news, the State Fund Board of Directors announced that its CEO and President, Tom Rowe, and its CFO, Dan Sevilla will resign from State Fund. It's not immediately known as to why the men stepped down, and the announcement came as a surprise to some. Jennifer Vargan, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications for State Fund, said that many people were surprised when the board chair made the announcement. She also said the board was very complimentary of both men as they made the announcement. Vargan couldn't say why the decision was made, and she said that the board hasn't made that known. Roe and Sevilla could not immediately be reached for comment. Several years ago, State Funds Board set the organization on a path to transform its operations by improving its transparency, accountability, efficiency, and productivity to ensure a stable and open workers' compensation insurance market. The board chair, Larry Mulryan, said that the executive team has done an outstanding job laying the foundation for State Fund's future. Roe and Sevilla will step away from overseeing day-to-day -day operations immediately, but they'll remain available for advice and consultation until the end of the year. The board will immediately begin a search for a new CEO and has named Carol Newman, State Fund's general counsel, as interim president effective immediately. Newman has been with State Fund since 2008. Carroll has had a long career in insurance that spans over 30 years. The board also announced that it has appointed Pete Gustamachio as interim CFO. Gustamachio joined State Fund in 2009 
and is State Fund's Chief Investment Operate Officer. <laughs> well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.